Garbage into Gold, a Sixers podcast, is part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. They are enhancing your Philadelphia sports fan experience. Make sure to visit them online at phlsportsnation.com and follow the Sixers branch of Philadelphia Sports Nation on Twitter at phlsixersnation. Garbage into Gold is powered by Manscaped. And everybody brace yourselves. Winter is coming. Man, do I miss Game of Thrones. What the writers of Game of Thrones didn't want to tell you is that Bran Stark was actually in a wheelchair because he didn't trim his downstairs area with Manscaped. Poor guy thought it was okay to trim his balls with a traditional razor or hair trimmer. What a shame. Now, if you've been listening to Garbage Into Gold for a couple of episodes here, you've heard us uh, talk about the new Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer from Manscaped with waterproof advanced skin safe technology to reduce nicks and cuts, and even has a light to help with your close shave down there. But hey, if you if you feel like you don't need a trimmer for down there, Manscaped off also offers the Weed Whacker ear and nose hair trimmer uh, that can help you whack those nasty weeds in your delicate holes. This product also has proprietary skin-safe technology to help prevent nicks, snags, and tugs. You can get 20% off plus free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com on any of these products. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the code PHL at manscaped.com. Be sure to join the Manscaped movement. These products are snow joke. All right, everyone. So on this episode of Garbage Into Gold, we have a lot to dive into. We are just a couple hours removed from Daryl Morey being introduced as the new 76ers president of basketball operations. Elton Brand has signed a multi-year extension. Uh, We have a few new assistant coaches to talk about on Doc Rivers' staff. And the almighty Sam Hinkie made an appearance on ESPN Daily's podcast. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more. So uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Garbage Into Gold. Garbage Into Gold. Garbage Into Gold. Joel Embiid turning Garbage Into Gold. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Garbage Into Gold, a Sixers podcast, part of Philadelphia Sports Nation. My name is Brandon Apter. I'm one of your hosts, joined by my co-host, Mr. Jesse Larch. Jesse, welcome to the pod. Tons to talk about this episode. Lots of exciting stuff. Yeah, it's a uh, bit of a revolutionary time for the 76ers. See the pun there? History pundits? Yeah. Yeah. Um, No, but I mean, seriously, these are like, I did not expect this much activity this offseason and to like even before any roster changes have happened to be feeling optimistic about this team yeah certainly if you told me after they were swept that the Sixers would be getting Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey and that was the price I probably would have taken it given what they had at the time before that but yeah a lot of exciting time and it's really going to be like coming very quickly because in our last episode we mentioned uh, December 22nd was a potential date that the NBA could come back. So it looks be- like it's between December 22nd and Martin Luther King Day in mid-January. So it's going to be really quick with regard to the draft, free agency, trading windows, uh, and the actual season starting as the NBA looks to get back on track. But, you know, we've been fed a lot since the Sixers got bounced from the bubble playoffs Uh, what seems now like a couple months ago with all the election stuff going on, you know, the last week alone has felt like a month and a half in itself. Um, But, you know, it's, we went from Elton Brand telling us collaboration isn't working uh, to the front office uh, needing to be reorganized to it not being reorganized at all to then being reorganized completely within the span of what seems like a week. So obviously the biggest uh, news coming out of the Sixers over the past couple of days is their hiring of former Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey. Uh, he's going to be the new Sixers president of basketball operations, the position previously held by Brian Colangelo, who was uh, – 
who parted ways with the Sixers due to his wife's burner accounts or his burner accounts, what have you. So Daryl Morey's here, five-year deal to run basketball operations. Doc Rivers also here on a five-year deal. Um, discussions began shortly after Maury stepped down in Houston and escalated uh, over the uh, over a few days last week, and the deal was finalized this weekend. He was just introduced to the media um, pretty much like an hour and a half ago was when he was introduced uh, to the media. Um, Maury's first statement in the press release, thank you to Josh Harris for the trust he has placed in me to lead the 76ers. I'm humbled by the challenge. I will work tirelessly with the hearts of Philadelphia's legendary fans, the opportunity to work again with Doc Rivers, Elton Brand, and a stacked roster that is ready to win made this a can't-miss opportunity. Uh, Elton Brand signed a multi-year extension. Doc Rivers was a proponent of the hiring. Uh, so, Jesse, I know you and I exchanged texts right when we learned of Woj's first report of Maury being in serious consideration for this position, but what what was kind of your immediate reaction of the news, and how do you feel now that uh, we listened to his press conference and uh, you've had a couple of days to let it kind of marinate? Initially, I understood the excitement, but personally, I was I had a little bit of skepticism just because Daryl Maury is an aggressive roster builder and. It definitely did feel like he adhered to a certain play style and gutted the roster, uh, the Rockets roster. You know, trading away Clint Capella, I think, was an extremely poor decision. Um, with that said, the Rockets probably got further than they might have with Capella just by playing the space game. So, you know, I know, obviously, we'll talk about his ties to Hinky a little bit later. But obviously a big analytical background, so everything he does is rooted somewhat in numbers. Um, after the press conference and after also, again, listening to that hinky pod we'll get to, I feel much better about the Maury hire. Um, you know, he we've gotten to learn a little bit about his management style and what to expect from him. He's not going to come in and be pounding the table for shooting, shooting, shooting all the time which is what I think would be a common fear for people that aren't familiar with uh, Daryl Morey and his personality, just looking at the moves he did make in Houston. But a lot of those have been put to rest to me based on what has been said about him by his peers and what he said himself today in the press conference. Yeah, uh, one thing that you mentioned first when you were uh, kind of iffy about the move was that uh, he, he's kind of an asset destroyer. I feel uh, I forget exactly uh, the the not asset destroyer. You you texted me something, um, but yeah, I mean he hasn't had a draft pick in quite some time. Um, he's known mostly for being a deal maker, and according to Yaron Weitzman, uh, who was on Zach Lowe's podcast, he's the author of Tanking to the Top. Uh, one of the reasons that uh, he was appealing to the Sixers ownership and the Sixers organization was that because he's a partially a deal maker. Um, you know, he, he's very well known for ushering in the volume three pointing, uh, three point shooting era that we're in right now. Uh, you know, you see it on the warriors, you see it on the rockets. Uh, the Sixers were bottom of the league with regard to three point shooting. So you'd have to imagine, even though the roster's different, they're going to try to find ways to to inject some more three point shooting in there. Um, but um, yeah, I, I think one of the like going into the presser. Well, I wanted to say originally I was a big fan of the announcement. Um, it kind of uh, had me questioning whether I'll ever believe what the Sixers say uh, at all in the future, because we went from Elton's in charge to uh, Doc Rivers being hired, and Doc Rivers has, has been known to have involvement in front office decisions in, in previous uh, stops that he has been in, whether it's been Boston or L.A. Um, and, you know, um, Elton looked to be the guy moving forward. But I think the hiring of Maury, even though it had me questioning whether I'll ever believe the Sixers again, it had me also um, coming to terms that I think that they realized that we made a mistake. You know, I think they realized that they probably held on to Brett Brown too long. I think they realized 
that the analytical mind of Sam Hinkie and the plan that he had laid out, and we'll talk about that later, um, is something that they abandoned too early. And now, even though Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are further along than they were when Hinkie left, you know, Simmons wasn't even there, um, but they now have a guy that can make a plan and kind of evaluate and make that plan moving forward. And Jesse, one of the things that I first wanted to mention from the press conference is that um, you and I talked about how Brett Brown was comparable to Chip Kelly in some ways. He acquired new players and then tried to put them in the scheme that was already in place instead of altering the scheme to play to their strengths. So one of the first things Maury said with regard to Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid was that you have to put your stars in the best position to play to their strengths rather than putting those players in a specific scheme. So I guess like going off that in general on the fact that he kind of mentioned that he's not going to be a big part of how the team is going to play, I guess what are your thoughts on on his overview of, of Ben and Joel and, and how he kind of plans to build around them. I mean, he really did sound infatuated with Joel throughout the press conference. Um, but yeah, the, the quote you're referring to was the one that jumped out the most to me. And when I say like after this press conference, my concerns were definitely deafened and quelled. That was the quote for me that really did that. Um, because, like I said, that's the first thing about Daryl Morey is how wide open the Rockets play and how wide open they've played since they've acquired James Harden. Um, and that's not necessarily a knock because I'm on record, James Harden's my favorite player in the current NBA. But the way the Sixers are built, that is not a style that suits them and any of the pieces they have. So for Daryl Morey to come in and straight up say, Doc's going to determine how we play, that's going to be it. You know, we're going to build around Doc's vision. I thought that was huge, not only for putting confidence in Doc and the players, but, you know, for anyone that was feeling like me about Daryl Morey that, you know, maybe they were just hiring a name and his mind is a little overrated. Um, he's, he definitely came in today and humbled himself and presented himself in a way that he doesn't view himself as a basketball genius by any means. But, he has a pattern to do the job, and he's going to adhere to that formula. It's not that his formula is, let's get pace, let's get shooters. Not that the Sixers don't need some shooters right now, but just in general that he's not going to come in, and like you're saying with Brett, how Brett would get a Josh Richardson and try to make him play the two or make him play the J.J. Redick role and it just work or foul miserably. You know, we shouldn't see that under Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers based off what we heard today. Yeah, I think the one quote, uh, the goal isn't to shoot three pointers, it's to win. So I think one thing that he emphasized a few times was that they played the way that they did in Houston because that was the best way to utilize their talent there. And I think that was a really good point. Uh, I feel like up until uh, the end of the Colangelo era and really when when um, Elton Brand took over and started making those risky deals that put the Sixers a couple of bounces away from overtime and potentially the Eastern Conference Finals uh, now two seasons ago or last season, however you want to put it, um, but I think it, it becomes one of those things where these deals to acquire Jimmy Butler and the deals to require, acquire Tobias Harris was looked at, you know, star hunting. And I think we were all like drooling over the fact that it's just like, OK, well, we need a third star in order to complement the guys that we have there. And I don't think that's necessarily true unless the third star just complements Ben and Joel so well. So I think that his overview of, of wanting to surround Ben and Joel, um, but needing to understand what exactly is needed to do that is big. And it certainly doesn't sound like he's interested in, in trading either of them, at least not right now. I think it's going to be a season or two of failure, like bad failure to take uh, for, for, for any of those guys to be put on the trading block, or at least that's how it seemed in, in the introductory press conference. But um I think um, surrounding Ben and Joel with players that fit their strengths is, is really what stood out to me in addition to what we already talked about. And 
going back to what I was mentioning about Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris, is in those trades, they acquired stars and did the star hunting, which was really appealing to a lot of us, but they traded away a lot of the assets and the, and the chemistry and the consistency that had been there and that had been built there. And, and really, after the Band-Aid was ripped off after the Kawhi shot, um, all, all of that was gone. And so I know I'm rambling a little bit on here, but I feel like the Elton Brand regime was so short just because like they made risky deals to try to win a championship now instead of surrounding Ben and Joel with players that best um, fit their strengths. They were going to find players that were just up to their skill level instead of fit. Yeah, and it, I mean, there's no denying last offseason resulted in a really disjointed team. Um, you know, I don't want to, because again, based on the things Maury said, I don't think Elton Brand is losing authority here, but I think he is gaining a very valuable person to uh, work alongside. You know, and they mentioned how collaboration is a big deal with the way Maury likes to operate, and um, I know you had tweeted after the press conference about how short-lived the getting away from the collaboration idea was. But I do think it's the right call that when you bring in a guy like Maury, and once again, once we get to the Pablo Torre and Sam Hinkie podcast, we can talk a little bit more about what collaboration under Daryl Maury is like. Um, but the fact that you have a guy like Maury who's demonstrated success with that model, whereas before that was a very unproven GM in Elton Brand, working with guys that weren't the guys he wanted to work alongside, if we're being fair. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, Alton Brand still deserves criticism, but I do think they have put him in a situation to definitely redeem himself. And I think we're going to get to see how he operates here. If, you know, if he works well with Daryl Morey, we'll know. If he doesn't, Alton Brand will probably be gone soon. Because I think Daryl Morey's going to have the longer leash over the two just based on reputation. Um, yeah, so Alton Brand really, he's almost been given a second life i don't think he was i mean he was never getting fired but i think it made his leash a little bit longer as well getting daryl morey in here and it it will kind of help his development more which we we could definitely argue he needed to a little bit more Mm -hmm. um he definitely went in very aggressively the last two years since he's taken over the role and now we're at a spot where he can take a step back kind of reflect on what he's done right and wrong and get to learn under a guy who has ample experience under other executives and as an executive to kind of impart some wisdom on Elton Brand. Yeah, I think um, with regard to Elton, I think it's interesting how he's viewed because he's very, very new, still kind of a rookie GM with regard to his experience. I know in the NBA, he has a lot of playing experience and has been viewed as a leader and a mentor to a lot of players and a a lot of organizations, but for somebody that's viewed more so for his basketball mind, like, I guess that makes me question the moves that he made to acquire Butler, to acquire Tobias Harris, um, because was it necessarily the best for the two cornerstones of the franchise to deal with that sort of turnover? Um, You know, you don't really know. So I think, like you said, he gets a second chance, but I really liked how... um, how uh, he's he's pretty much like giving up deciding control to uh, have Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey in the positions that they are in. You know, he sold Morey and Rivers on Philadelphia, the potential of the roster, um, and, and uh, you know, ownership being committed to winning a championship. So I think Elton Brand being uh, selfless and wanting to win a championship no matter what his role is, I think is very admirable of him. Like he he knows that he needs to learn. And I think that he was kind of forced into a position that was overly collaborative because he wasn't that well educated as a general manager. So you had him, you had Rucker, you had Ned Cohen, you had the ownership, you probably had Brett Brown. It was we we mentioned in the last episode you might have too many cooks in the kitchen, but maybe you just need the right cooks in the kitchen. And it seems like we're on a pathway to to being there with with Doc Rivers, Daryl Morey, Elton Brand, Dinwiddie, and Prosper Karangwa, who um, they they also brought in. But um, getting back to some of the uh, Morey press conference stuff, um, 
Uh, he mentioned how it's extremely important to surround Joel and Ben, but the organization needs to increase their understanding of what's needed before making moves. Uh, he mentioned a couple of times that there are a lot of up uh, windows upcoming with the draft, free agency, and trades, and it sounds like he isn't afraid to make a move if if there's one to make, whether it's a big one or, or one on the margins. And I think uh, anybody that has studied Daryl Morey knows that he's – uh, one of the other things that he's known for is finding value on the margins. And we talked already a little about how he got rid of a lot of draft assets, but has also found uh, value late in the drafts and uh, in the undrafted free agent market. You know, Clint Capello was a late first round pick. Uh, he found Nick Batum. Nick Batum is a, a guy that's hurt nowadays, but um, had a good uh, stretch of years in the NBA. Nikola Miritich, Montrez uh, Harrell, uh, all guys that were drafted or picked up by Daryl Morey over his time in Houston. Um, you know, Kyle Lowry was a guy um, mentioned in the Hinky podcast that they brought in uh, during you know the early tenure of Maury and Hinky, and and turned him from the worst three point shooter into a really good three point shooter, uh, and I, I think he's a great talent evaluator. And Jesse, I know you're somebody who's very big on the drafts, but it seems like maybe Maury overrates the draft and the fact that he's very good at at working the margins. So. Uh, going into the draft side of things, we talked a little bit about his asset burning, but uh, what 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 did you make of what he had to say uh, with regard to the draft? I know Elton's already done a lot on the five picks that they have, but um, any any thoughts as to whether you think they'll keep the pick or what you think they should do and just what he said with regard to the draft? Based on um, the situation with the restart of the season, I don't think they're going to really move any players before they get everyone in the house and get into some games. You know, I think they're going to at first develop a scheme to kind of make everyone like you were mentioning before, you know, put everyone in the best situation to succeed. Um, I think they're going to try that approach first. So I think they're going to hold on to that pick for this draft. Now, if they get into the season and they realize there's just, some things are just oil and water, then I think you'll definitely see picks being packaged with some of the ugly contracts to move guys out. Um, but I think we're a ways away from that. I think they're going to go into this draft and they're going to, you know, they may move around a little bit because we do have five second round picks. So you may see some packages to move up or maybe to get a better role player in or something like that. But as far as a first round pick, I, I think I would be surprised if the Sixers don't take someone in the first round this year, whether they move up, down, or stay where they're at. Um, yeah, and, and like you're saying, with finding value in the margins, I mean, that is definitely where a lot of teams win in the NBA now. And you look at how well Sam Hinkie did do it, and we know Sam Hinkie learned working under Daryl Morey. So, you know, that's definitely a valid point. Um, I, I don't want to say he underrates or overrates the draft, I think maybe his viewpoint is that he looks at demonstrated value over upside, over potential. Um, and that might be, you know, the analytic mind coming in, like, you know, to use a Philadelphia Union reference, the new sporting director for the union. I mean, he's been there like four or five years now, but the union have rocketed to the top of MLS because one of the first things Ernst Tanner did when he took over the union is he literally sold all of their draft picks in the MLS draft to get more money to purchase players from overseas and other areas. So that's another case of valuing demonstrated value over potential. And yeah, I do love the draft because I love all of those different permutations you can play off in your head and all the different type of matches you can put together. And, you know, just like the endless possibilities of it, I find that to be very mentally stimulating, mm -hmm. but there is something to be said for, you know, turning those picks into something that already is valuable. Yeah, and I agree with you there. And I think unless they need to part ways with that pick in order to uh, get out from under the Horford or Harris deals, um, I think it would be in their best interest just because of how uh, how their books look with the cap and and how they need cheap contracts. You know, they'll probably need to keep that pick. But I do like the idea of 
packaging seventeen or packaging twenty one uh, and a couple of their second rounders to to potentially try and move up um, for a player that they want uh, that could help them in in the in the long term on a on a cheap contract. Um, the the uh, collaboration thing uh, again. It's it's kind of funny. You mentioned how. <laughs> I, I tweeted that it didn't last very long, uh, and I, I said that you know maybe they have the right pieces in place right now. Um, and Daryl Morey mentioned that it, you know kind of having a my way or the highway thing doesn't win championships. And I think that when uh, Elton Brand mentioned that their collaboration wasn't working, is that again like the pieces weren't in the right place. So uh, moving on from that, I think. Um, one of the highlights of the press conference for everybody was the interaction between Daryl Morey and Howard Eskin. Howard Eskin more or less asking if he believes that the team as is could win a championship, uh, and if not, will he be open to trading anybody? And I believe as a part of his first question was, I know you have to be nice and politically correct, but... And then he answered his question, and then Daryl Morey was just like, do I have to be say nice things about you? And it was uh, it was pretty tremendous. But he ended up um, saying our championship team probably isn't going to have the same exact players we have now. But to have two star plus players at 24 and 26, uh, that's why Maury couldn't get Doc Rivers to interview in Houston because Doc Rivers thought it was not uh, it was impossible to pass up an opportunity to work with Simmons and Embiid. So. Um, <laughs> The Eskin thing was funny, uh, but um, your your thoughts on, on what he had to say with regard to the trades? I mean, it's just like his first day on the job, so I'm not 100% sure what they want him to say. Yeah, that's pretty much the uh, running theme of the press conference is today's Daryl Morey's first day. Like, he can't really answer these questions, and they're really more questions for the coach than the, the director of basketball operations. Yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think if there was anything else on there. I, I know he said that it was going to be a sprint from, uh, where they are now to game one, very important trade windows, but I mean, gathering overall from the press conference, it sounds like if things could go either way. I don't think we're going to see like a drastic change with regard to the roster, um, when it comes to like Al Horford, would I love to be off of his contract? But if we get a new season in, in a month or two, um, you need to have a solution to who's going to be your backup center. Uh, and that needs to be a good answer before you feel confident just trading Al Horford to get out from underneath the contract. So I think it becomes one of those things where if you trade a Tobias Harris or you trade an Al Horford, uh, is it getting you out from under their contracts or is it actually making the team better? And I think a lot of people are so focused on um, Al Horford's remaining contract that they forget how bad things were when Embiid went down in the playoffs uh, and they had to play Greg Monroe, Boban Marjanovic and Amir Johnson. And it was just like, it was, it was just not pretty. So as much as we all want to get rid of those contracts, I think that it uh, bears in mind that you need it needs to make sense. that you At this point in the franchise, I feel like you can't just get rid of the contracts just to get rid of the contracts. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Al Horford is, uh, I mean, he, he had some good games. I think the play style certainly didn't help him last season. Um. I mean, I, would I be upset if they moved them? Absolutely not. But, you know, with so many changes going on and with the reputations of the guys coming in, it's easy for me to give him a second chance and kind of call last year a mulligan. Um, and even talking about Boban and, like, when he played here and how he got exposed in Brett's system, well, last year he was, like, an extremely efficient player for Dallas and ended up becoming, I think, their starting five by uh, by the time the playoffs were here and played good basketball for them in the playoffs. I don't think he played much so, in the playoffs, actually. I'll have to look that up, uh, but I don't. I, mean, I think by the time playoffs came around, he wasn't really playing. But what I was, what I was going to get to is it essentially comes down to, and, you know, again, we'll say, because we always say it, Brett Brown, fantastic person, but, 
you know, maybe Randy Carlisle is a better coach than Brad Brown. I don't think that's really a stretch. And that's the same thinking here is Doc Rivers, with who he is and what he's accomplished, I would expect him to get better play out of Al Horford than Brett Brown did with that scheme Brett Brown was married to. Yeah. Where Doc will be able to hopefully get some different looks in there and position players differently to, like they kept saying, get the most out of the guys they have. Um, and I, I think I'm, I'm optimistic that with the guys we have in house right now, that that's going to happen just because their reputations kind of tell us that, you know, these aren't guys that they're not like Brian Colangelo, where Brian Colangelo came in with a name, but also with a track record of poor draft history, never getting teams over the hump. Like the guys we have in house right now are universally, um, admired by their peers for the work they do. And I think that says a lot more than the guys that we've had in the past. I think, I think there's a lot more legitimacy to the guys we have over guys we brought in previously. And I, th- I think that's why I'm, uh, I'm more willing to see it out and see how this roster looks in the hands of these guys, even though we saw how bad it was last year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I have anything else to add with regard to that. I was just thinking about one other thing uh, before we can move on <laughs> is uh, going back to what we were talking about is how they played in Houston, the three-point shooting to utilize their skills. And I, uh, the one thing that stuck out, again, he seemed very high on Joel Embiid, more so than Ben Simmons throughout his press conference. And he said that if he would have had Shaquille O'Neal, he would have fed him a hundred times a game because of the player that he was. So... I think that we can still expect a, a Joel Embiid heavy offense um, uh, because Daryl also had a good experience with Yao Ming during his prime uh, and had a good relationship with him. So I, I'm interested to see how uh, Daryl and Joel Embiid uh, link together and, and work together. Obviously, it'll mostly be Doc and and Embiid, but. I, I was I was very very happy with how complimentary he was of Joel Embiid and realizes that um, even with Howard Eskin pointing out that uh, Embiid hasn't been in shape since he was drafted here, uh, how much potential he has and how he he can be the best player on on a championship team and I think that that was uh, uh, really good to see, um, really good to see Maury uh, say that with regard to to Joe. Yeah. And- I mean, just jumping back to Eskin real quick with that, you know, throwing Embiid, just slandering him like that, honestly, like I'm hoping Maury's the guy that eventually just says, yeah, he's not allowed in our press conferences anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm hoping if anyone will do it, I feel like it'll be Daryl Maury just based off of how he's conducted himself in the past and how little he really cares about, I guess, his own appearance or his own uh how, what people say about him and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I I feel like, you know, you go back to when Gabe Kapler had his introductory press conference here. And Gabe, you know, very first question Gabe Kapler gets asked after he becomes the manager of the Phillies is a question about masturbating with coconut oil. <laughs> like, can we do something to keep this guy out of our fucking press conferences? Nope. Then he goes into the Sixers press conference and pretty much just because has an assault on the organization because he doesn't like how they did things 10 years ago. Yeah. I'm surprised like, he didn't bring up Hinky. Pretty surprised. I'm surprised, no, nobody, I'm surprised nobody brought up Hinky, to be yeah. honest. Um, But, I mean, that's, I guess, neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm disgusted by some of the writers in the city. Like, um, one of the questions that was asked, I thought was like, just there was, I think Maury even answered it this way, but it was like he said something along the lines of like, I mean, I can answer that for you in like four months. Yeah. Like I can't answer that today. And it's just, I don't know. Some of the questions were fine. Plenty of them were fine, but there was a couple that stuck out. Like, are you guys fucking serious? You know? And yeah. definitely asking coming in, trying like you, I, as soon as you said the thing about, um, MB and I looked at Josh Harris and Elton Brand's faces and even Doc Rivers had a little bit of a 
what the fuck kind of look yeah. on his face. Elton's Elton's reaction after Daryl got finished answering the question was was the best. Just yeah, closing Elton his eyes was... and nodding his head like, oh, my God, what an embarrassment. Yeah, and even Josh Harris, when asking asked that, Josh Harris's face was like, he's like, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Um, but I, I, but mean, yeah, I, I mean, to, to that respect with regard to Eskin, I think he's so long tenured in the city because he appeals to the casual fan. You know, we're, we're not casual fans. And, you know, we know his son, Spike, runs like the – most successful Sixers podcast out there. And it's a family that's well known among Philadelphia sports fans. But yeah, I think that's worth mentioning is that I think we all get so bugged by it is that because he looks at like the casual fan complaints and then asks them as questions instead of doing like, you know, a Kyle Newbecker or Derek Bodner sort of question, actually asking a question with substance. And I think that there's value in stuff that he does because sometimes he does ask like the, questions that we want to know but i don't think that that's in line with any uh, anything that like people were wondering today per se he he's riding the coattails of a report he broke before i was born that's what's happening because he i forget who the name of the eagles owner was but someone was trying to move the eagles out of philadelphia eskin broke the report that that was happening and then the fan backlash essentially is what led to the sale to jeffrey glory and kept the equals in philly yeah um so that's what eskin that's why they call him the king and everything because he saved the eagles but i think it's been so long since then that it, at some point it has to be a what have you done for me lately and you know not saying that's not a good thing he did back then and that wasn't real journalism because that was but he's not a journalist anymore he's a wannabe skip bayless and I mean, the same way that, you know, I say it all the time where if you watch a first take or an undisputed, you notice almost daily they talk about a Philadelphia sports team. And that's not because Philadelphia sports teams are good because they're not very good right now. But that's because the Philadelphia market cares more. And if you mention their name, they're going to generate a response. And when you're a website or a television show, you don't care if the response is positive or negative. You just care that it exists. Because a rating, whether positive or negative, is still a rating. Yeah. And and that's what Eskin has built his back on now. Um, you know, he's just a sensationalist, and I'm just really, really over it and disgusted by it. And especially when there's so much good around the team, to need to find something to be upset about really drives me nuts. Yeah, I would imagine that there are more than a handful of people that would uh, sympathize with you on that one. More than a handful. Um, I guess to close the door on the Maury stuff before we move into like the assistant coaches, um, I think it is worth mentioning. Uh, we've talked about a lot of the good and what we're looking forward to, but I think it definitely shouldn't be ignored like some of the trades that he made to acquire Chris Paul uh, and then to acquire Russell Westbrook. Uh, both of those deals were pretty horrendous. The Westbrook one, especially where I'm pretty sure that he traded three first round picks to get them. And Westbrook clearly out of his prime at this point, um, one of the most exciting players with Kevin Durant and even a year or so after Durant left. But I mean, that deal to, to give Paul uh, to to OKC to get Westbrook just more or less because James Harden and Chris Paul didn't get along um, was, was pretty bad. And I think, you know, even it's the first day on the job. So what we can what we say about Tobias Harris or Al Horford or even guys like Shake Milton and, and Matisse Thibel and him being able to find value on the margins is that I think that we also have to prepare ourselves for some uncomfortable situations to get out of these bad contracts. Uh, if, if it's not working, like if, if we go through a quarter of the season and it's clearly not working, I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, add a Shake Milton or a Matisse Thibel to a deal to try to get out from under the Harris or Horford deals just to, to make things a better fit. Um, so I, th I just at least wanted to mention that before we moved on. Yeah, I mean, I, I personally despise Russell Westbrook as a basketball player. So um, I would not be pro that move. I wasn't pro that move when it happened. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're definitely right. Like, if we do decide we need to move these contracts, like, it's going to take some heavy lifting. And it's really going to be surgical the way it has to be done. You're going to have to cut a lot of things out of this team in order to get those pieces out. Um, you know, hopefully everything falls into place under Doc Rivers, but yeah. I would say at least one of the pieces will have to go at some point. Yeah, I think um, Sam Hinkie put it well, and I know we're going to talk about it a lot later, but I think uh, one of the things that Hinkie said that is relatable to what we're talking about now is that uh, he, Maury makes like the hard but right trades. I, I think when they were towards their beginning of their tenure in, in Houston, uh, they traded Rafer Alston for 22-year-old Kyle Lowry in a deal that was very, very just not not received well by Houston media, Houston fans at the time. Um, and Kyle Lowry ended up, you know, six or seven games into that trade, like showing the Rockets that, you know, he was the real deal. And, you know, him and Aaron Brooks um, helped lead them to the playoffs, uh, that year, you know, they went into the second round, I believe, in the first year that they did that. So um, even though they're uncomfortable situations, I, I don't think Daryl Morey is uh, on the level of hinky of just trading to trade them. I think that he is going to make sure that if they do trade to get out of contracts, that it will help this team on the margins, whether it be by draft capital or by players that fit around Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. Yeah, for sure. All right, so before we move on to the assistant coaches, why don't we take a quick break and uh, hear about our friends at Anchor. All right, now that we have um, covered the Daryl Morey side of things, why don't we get into some of the new additions to Doc Rivers' coaching staff, uh, the first of which being Indiana Pacers' former assistant coach Dan Burke, who is most well-known for his hatred of the Sixers uh, back in 2019. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play the clip before we talk a little bit about his credentials here. To me, that's the takeaway. And, and, and one, because of Philly, it's because where we want to go. And, uh, yeah, I hate that team. I really wanted to win that game. Um, I think Embiid gets away with a bunch of crap the league ignores. And uh, it would have been a good one to just walk away from. All right, well, so he thinks Joel Embiid gets away with a lot of crap. Joel Embiid uh, did not forget about that and, and went back to his Troel Embiid ways and uh, said, now, now we'll be able to uh, enjoy together what the league lets me get away with. So just a couple of notes on Burke that I got from um, a couple of different sites, Fieldhouse Files, um, Mentions that he's a basketball junkie who rather spend time with players on the court or reviewing film. He was more than just the defensive coordinator for the Pacers. He led film sessions, broke down clips at halftime, and would pull guys aside for extra work. Uh, Kyle Newbeck of Philly Voice mentioned that he's a big believer in defending your man and not switching, a strategy that actually runs counter to how Doc Rivers set the Clippers up last season. More importantly, Burke is a big believer in drop coverage with his bigs, a style that has irritated Sixers fans in recent years as the team has ascended. Still, Indy has ranked in the top 10 in defensive efficiency in seven of the last 10 seasons. Um, and in the 2019-20 NBA general manager survey, Burke was tied for the best assistant coach in the NBA. So not sure how much you know about Dan Burke. He seems to uh, come in with with a really good pedigree, uh, specializing in defense. Doc Rivers hasn't really said which coach is specializing in what, and I'm not really sure that we're going to really know that because Dave Yeager, you and I thought, was going to be uh, a big uh, big part of the defensive side of things. So uh, what are your thoughts on Burke joining the team and, and what he could potentially add on the defensive side of the ball? I mean, we both haven't been shy about how much we like the Pacers program over the last few years. Um, so anyone from that organization I'm a fan of right now, because that is a team that consistently overachieves and consistently finds a way to get the most out of their players. So in that sense, you know, especially preaching, getting the most out of your players like they have today. And really since doc took over, he seems like a perfect fit to the puzzle here. Um, his reputation precedes him as you just laid out, you know, I, I mean, I am ecstatic about this coaching staff right now. Um, 
based off what you said, you would expect that Burke would come in and take care of the defense for Doc. I know Doc said in his introductory presser that every team he's had, or like nine of ten teams he's had, some like, you know, really good percentage have finished top ten in offense. So maybe Doc is looking for voices on defense to really bring that that part around with him if Doc trusts himself with the offense, or maybe he trusts the next name we're about to talk about with the offense. Um, but all in all, yeah, I think that's just a fantastic hire. Yeah, uh, I think very well respected uh, around the league, it looks like, by a lot of general managers. And um, <clears throat> a good players coach from, from what I read about him in a number of articles. The other addition, a uh, familiar addition for um, Doc Rivers, who uh, Sam, Cassell, Sam Cassell, sorry, I had a brain fart there. Uh, Sam Cassell, uh, familiar to Doc Rivers, was on Doc Rivers' staff in L.A., um, and really uh, has been with Doc Rivers since uh, 2008 with the Celtics. Uh, Cassell was on the active roster in 2008, but more or less acted as an assistant coach under Rivers. And after retiring, he immediately went into coaching in 2009 with the Timberwolves. Uh, so he started off kind of thinking about coaching uh, as a player with Doc Rivers in 2008 um, in Washington when he moved to Washington to be a coach there, he garnered praise for his work mentoring John Wall. Uh, so he should be great for a guy like Ben Simmons, sure, but even more so for a player like Shake Milton or even Josh Richardson because, you know, Cassell was never a great shooter. Ben Simmons, not a great shooter uh, during his career, but he was still a dynamic role player and worked well with big men and used the short mid-range game to his advantage. So I feel like a lot of people are focusing on what he can do to help Ben Simmons develop as like a point guard and, and help the dynamic between Simmons and Embiid. Uh, but I think it shouldn't go without saying that Josh Richardson, whether he's here or not, or Shake Milton, or even a Matisse Thibel should be able to uh, benefit from Cassell's coaching style. Yeah, I mean, I was lobbying for Sam Cassell to be the Sixers' new head coach. So getting him in here as an assistant, I mean, I'm over the moon about that. Um, I think he is just – I think he's a future head coach in the NBA. I think he's going to be a very good head coach in the NBA. And to get him in here with someone he's already familiar with to kind of help implement Doc's culture, I think that's just it's such a great fit. Um, top to bottom, this coaching staff is like – it's really just like a wet dream, <laughs> the names they've brought in. Like I, I couldn't – picture putting together a much better staff right now yeah no i agree with you and um i'm not sure who he is i haven't really heard of his name up until now but eric hughes formerly of the brett brown era well uh he'll remain from the brett brown regime uh on doc river staff um as a player development coach that was his role uh with brett so i haven't gotten any indication as to whether that'll change but i would assume that that stain stays with him being a player development coach um before we move on to the sam hinky pod i i do want to mention that former sixers assistant Ime doka ended up on the brooklyn nets staff uh behind steve nash mike d'antoni also going there uh, so their staff is very interesting. Steve Nash, the head coach with Mike D'Antoni, uh, we know what they did in Houston. And then you have Amari Stoudemire as an assistant coach and uh, Ime Odoka. So a very, very interesting dynamic in Brooklyn. And um, with the personalities there between KD and, and Kyrie, it's, it's very hard to tell whether it's going to work or if it's just going to crash and burn very quickly. Yeah, I feel like that's a major risk they're taking, and they're hoping, like, even if the coaching isn't great, the talent can kind of outweigh it. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, that's going to be – it's either going to work beautifully or it's going to crash and burn. I'm excited to watch it. That's one of the most exciting things, aside from the Sixers, that I'm looking forward to watching. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the last topic that we have here, Sam Hinkie appeared on the uh, ESPN Daily podcast. It was an hour and 45 minutes long. Uh, a lot of great stuff, giving us a little bit more of an insight into how Sam Hinkie thinks, what went on during his tenure with the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, you know, just a couple of notes that I had down was how stoked that he was for Daryl Morey and the Sixers, uh, the Sixers, a team that he cares a lot about. 
Uh, he keeps in touch regularly with Joel Embiid. Um, and I think the first point I want to elaborate on a little bit is, you know, he was asked um, what he thinks about the storylines that suggest trading Joel Embiid and or Ben Simmons. And I think Daryl Morey uh, talking about how he covets Embiid and, and how Simmons is a great player talks to how he doesn't want to trade them. And and a couple of hinky things that that we got from this was, quote, I'd I'd be loath for anybody who says the obvious answer is to move on from one or both. Yes, you could trade a young player for an older, better fit player who's not as good, that's for sure, but I'm not sure I would do that. Um, He also said, oh gosh, don't people remember what it took to get them for all of them? I mean, getting a star player in the NBA is not impossibly hard, but close. It requires either an incredible amount of luck or an amazing amount of time or some other way to try and get at it. So to have a young player who is nominally in a traditional sense just entering his prime and say, oh, we've got a blank, no. And then the last one is job one is you got to get great players on your team. That's job one. And he is one with regard to Joel Embiid. So I would be, I'm not alone for this, loathe to think we have to do anything that requires you to potentially move a great player. They don't move very much for a reason because people rightfully don't let them go for a reason. So um, what were you, I know that's like a national media thing that we've had to listen to for what seems like the past decade, even though it's only really been for the past couple of years. But what were your thoughts um, with regard to his thoughts on, on that topic? Well, yeah, that's why no NBA teams are hiring Max Kellerman to be in their front office. <laughs> you know, like... Hanky's completely right. And I mean, I'm going to be biased and probably agree. I did agree with every single thing Hanky said in this podcast. But, you know, it's, yeah, good players don't move. And if they do move, it's when they're in the latter stages of their career, like Chris Paul and Jimmy Butler have been. But you don't see, you know, Dwayne Wade stayed in Miami forever. Um, Dr. J stayed in Philly forever. Like, there's very few stars that move. Once Harden got to Houston, he's been entrenched there. You know, Stephen Kobe with the Lakers. Golden State. Yes, Kobe with the Lakers. Like, it's very rare cases where you see guys move around. Like, you get a Shaq who moved around a little bit. But even then, Shaq spent an ample amount of time in L.A. And then when he was moving, it was the downside of his career. Yeah, LeBron moved around based on free agency, really. He wasn't traded. Yeah, LeBron moved at his own will, you know, like that's a totally different thing. You don't just see teams letting guys of Embiid's caliber go. That'd be like if the Nuggets or not the Nuggets, the uh, the Mavs just wanted to trade Luka Doncic to get a bunch of pieces in. Like, well, I think another that, good comparison to would be like Carl Anthony Towns. You know, that hasn't worked in Minnesota for a while. And, you know, the Wiggins era and that yeah, ended. And, 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 and I think they moved on from that. But they're trying to make it work because they realize his talent and don't want to trade him until they've exhausted all options. And now that option is D'Angelo Russell. Well, they also don't want to admit they traded away the best part of that three like four years ago when they traded Zach Levine. Right. Um, who I would easily argue is the best player of out of him, Cat and Wiggins. So that's just, I mean, the Timberwolves were, they got slandered enough by... Kevin Garnett and other former players of that organization when the most recent ownership group left that they were just inept at what they were doing. And, you know, they, they've really paid the price for it, but yeah, they're trying to kind of turn a corner now too. But like you're saying, the, the guy that you decide you're building around the franchise guys, they don't move. Um, you know, D'Angelo Russell's moved a couple times now, but he's also not considered a franchise guy. He's considered a very talented player, an upper echelon player, but he's not a building a cornerstone, you know. Um, when you have those guys that are, like, it'd be really easy for the Wizards to try to move on from John Wall right now, but knowing what John Wall can do, they're not going to do that. Or, you know, the same with the Bulls hanging on to Derrick Rose as long as they did. Right. Like, it's it has to be clear that the guy's done before you start moving him. Um, and same thing goes in terms of fit. It has to be and, until Joel Embiid walks into the walks into Daryl Morey's office or Doc Rivers' office and says, "Get Ben out of here." I don't think Ben's going to go anywhere. Yeah, um, 
I think one of the very interesting things, again, another national media and even a local media thing that Hinky touched on was when he was asked with regard to, uh, or when he was asked about Ben Simmons and him being criticized for not shooting threes. And I feel like, first of all, like a lot of people would be okay with he, if he had like a serviceable 10 to 12 foot jumper, like he doesn't need to shoot three pointers, but he needs to add some part of the jumper to his game. But what Hinky said is what a lot of people overlook because the three-point shooting and the jump shot is so at the at the forefront of, of what so many people are talking about. Um, so Hinky said, I would say the obvious thing is that he doesn't make or shoot threes, and that and that's real. And for him to be truly amazing, that's part of his game you'd like to see develop. There's a lot more to it. For as big and athletic as he is, you'd like to see him use both hands around the rim finish with his left hand around the rim and finish over bigs and go to the line. That would move the needle far more than shooting. He's already an all NBA player. He's amazing. So I think with um, Daryl Morey coming in and how James Harden was pretty much a guy that almost values getting fouled more over shooting the ball, that maybe we see a little bit of a change in Ben Simmons, uh, aggression because I feel like so many times we we talked about him driving and then passing back out because he's not a confident foul point foul shooter and he doesn't want to get fouled or or have to shoot at the line and I think that if if he could even shoot like 65 70 percent from the line by being aggressive or more around the rim people wouldn't talk about his three-point shooting as much as they do now yeah and that's honestly that's why James Harden is my favorite player because I love that he plays the game that way and chases contact and goes to the line. Um, that's also why I think it's so strange that so many people loathe the way James Harden plays because the common complaint of the current NBA is that, Oh, it's cupcake and it's not physical enough. And if you played in the nineties or eighties, you would get, you know, you get your ass beat and get dominated by those guys. Well, here's James Harden chasing contact every minute of the game. And those same people all say he sucks and he's not a good player. And it's the same with Kyle Lowry. You know, he runs into people looking for contact knowing he's going to get the whistle. I mean, if you're, if you're Ben Simmons, 6'10", going in with that much speed and all you have is like a big man trying to block him, like he's going to get fouled eight times out of 10, probably nine times out of 10. Especially if he's finishing strong to the rim, he's going to get tons of N1s as well. So the percentage matters less when you already have two points on the board. You know, if you add five of ten on N1s, then so what's that? That's be 15 points just there? Or no, 25 points. But even if you make like a point at the line and you don't get the N1, that's still like a point per possession, which is fine. Yeah, I mean, for for the amount that he would get fouled, again, it's fine. And especially when the other part of your team is Joel Embiid, and if you're attacking the paint and you're putting the other team's five into foul trouble, you're just opening up the game for Embiid to dominate more inside the post. Yeah, I always thought it was kind of funny that people criticize James Harden for seeking contact, but it's literally what Joel Embiid does. Yeah. No, and it's also like we we clamored for the Sixers to play bully ball really for years. And especially the, with the way the team was built last year. Um, and that kind of sounds like what Hinky's advocating here. And if, I mean, if we can get this team to play bully ball and hearing Maury come in today and say, you know, I would post a guy like Embiid up all game long, which I know many fans have been wanting to see, you know, it, it's nice that Embiid has the ability to hit a three and he has to be respected at the three line. But that's not where his bread should be buttered, and I think anyone can agree with that. Yeah. Uh, one of the things Hinky also mentioned was how Daryl's good at finding value on the margins. Um, one interesting stat that I found uh, to be a little bit eye-opening, prior to Hinky's era, the average general manager ten- tenure in Philadelphia prior to him taking over was 2.87 years, and he stayed 2.81. So... I think at that time, Josh Harris was committed to it. So he's committed to this in five years of Daryl Morey and Doc Rivers. Uh, so I, I'm curious to see if uh, those guys um, go past that 2.87 years. But um, I feel like on on the whole, again, I loved the Hinky Pod. It was He didn't give too much insight with regard to 
like what went on to lead him to write that 13 page resignation letter. Um, he didn't really throw any, anything bad on Adam Silver and, you know, he, he was complimentary of a Adam Silver, if I can remember correctly. But, um, aside from like what his thoughts were on Embiid and Simmons, did you have like a, a favorite or a couple of, uh, points from the pod that you really enjoyed hearing? For those of us that have been, you know, criticized by the lay fan, the Eskin listeners, you know, like we talked about how Eskin appeals to that type of fan, you know, to the people that sat through the 10 win season and the people that were excited during the 10 win season, those of us, this was such a refreshing thing to listen to, especially in the sense that Hinky's big knock was that he didn't put his face out there enough. Um, you know, and rightfully so, kind of caused Brett Brown to take a lot of unnecessary flack for that. But Hinky was not a friend of the media. He did not see the need to talk to the public very often. I will say when he took the job, he was extremely transparent and told us up front that it was going to be a rough few years because he was going to tear it down to rebuild it. And we accepted that, and that's what the essence of the process was and why it was so beloved, because he essentially handed us a contract and said, here's the ride we're going on. And we knew what we were getting into with Sam Hinkie. But Sam Hinkie was viewed as very robotic, emotionless, um, cold, and calculated. This podcast really demonstrated Sam Hinkie having personality um, and being someone you could kind of envision yourself going out to dinner with or having a drink with. Um, he's still a bit of a dork or a nerd, which is fine because so am I. You know, a lot of his quirks that he mentioned, I was like, hey, that's me. <laughs> but it was very nice to get insight into the man, Sam Hinkie, and not just the GM, Sam Hinkie. Yeah, I thought um, it was. That's what I. Go ahead. No, I'm just going to kind of keep beating the same point at this point. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought it was interesting how he talked about when he got the job in Philadelphia, that he was excited, um, but knew, you know, the average tenure of general managers in Philadelphia. And more or less, like, he didn't sit down with his family and let them know, like, hey, we're excited, but make sure to, like, be cautious about that excitement because of this or this. Um, so I thought it was funny how instead of, like, sitting his family down, he he wrote letters to his family and and all of like the people hel that helped him get to where he was today. So again, like very nerdy uh, in, in ways and just very quirky in other ways, like how he operates. But it seems like he's very happy doing what he's doing now. And um, he he mentioned zero chance that he returns to the Sixers and zero chance that he returns to the NBA in any capacity, which again isn't surprising. Um, seeing what he's what he's doing now. Yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of essentially blackballed anyway, but, you know, it's good for him for finding life after basketball. And, I mean, he will he will forever be a, uh, a folk hero in Philadelphia, or at least among the that sect of Sixers fans. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the moment you sent me the link of that podcast, I was just filled with excitement. Because I cannot wait to hear what he had to say. Yeah, I listened to it um, on the way back from uh, North Georgia, our vacation Sunday. Uh, I listened to an hour and a half of it uh, while my fiance fell asleep listening to Sam Hankey. I was very engaged. Yeah, no, I was. That was honestly one of the best, or one of my favorite podcasts I've heard, aside from the garbage and the gold episodes. <laughs> um, I don't listen yeah, to that, our episodes, I mean, to be honest, but that's just me. I sell. I seldom do. Hmm. Uh, yeah, well, one so, of the other things. So that just means that just means all of these listenings we've been getting lately are authentic. <laughs> um, one of the other things, um, you know, the hinky conversation was great, but I don't know if you got to listen to this before. I think it was like a month or so ago, maybe a couple weeks before Maury was, uh, before Maury stepped down from Houston, he was on the rights to Ricky Sanchez with Spike Eskin and Mike Levin. And uh, I, I listened to three quarters of that podcast, and it's definitely worth listening to because, I mean, you don't get an opportunity to interview, like, the GM of a team while, you know, they're in a situation in the playoffs in the bubble. 
Uh, so it makes you wonder how long or how far ahead he knew that he was going to leave, how far ahead he knew uh, where he might end up. Um, but it's certainly in addition to the hinky pod uh, on ESPN Daily. I think it's it's worth a listen if you've not listened already, because he's a great like hinky. He's a great analytical mind and a very great basketball analytical mind. So I, I highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, uh, any anything else uh, for the for the good of the order, or we kind of cover everything that we needed to cover. I think we got everything touched on here. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for tuning in then, and uh, we'll catch you uh, next time on another episode of uh, Garbage Into Gold. Make sure if you're not doing so already, uh, give us a follow on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple, give us a five-star review if you think that we're worth it, and um, Make sure to check out that deal I mentioned earlier in the episode, 20% off plus free shipping from manscaped.com. And uh, yeah, also give us a follow on Twitter at Garbage Into Gold, trying to build a following there. So thanks again for listening, everybody, and we'll uh, catch you on the next episode.